baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is Free For All Friday. Good afternoon. I'm Scoot on the air. Really glad you're with us. Um, I went on uh, my Facebook page last night right after the game ended and just gave everybody a chance to kind of vent their, their frustrations over the loss. I'm not, uh, I'm not putting a bag on. I, I didn't back then. I'm not going to now. It's, it's not over. The Saints could put all of this together. I don't know what it's going to take to get them to do that, but they still can. And they just, they disappointed me in that they did not come out like the cohesive unit with fire in their eyes like I expected. Following what I heard them say after the loss in Houston, I thought things would be different. And they came out limping. And you know, you can't help but wonder if, uh, okay, well, Trevor Lawrence, okay, so he sprained his knee, um, strained his knee or whatever. He, he's got a knee brace on. He might not even play in the game. I mean, did the coaches not consider how much he might run? Or did they just rule out that possibility? Because he ran all over the place. In fact, at one point, he was the, the leading rusher. And here's a guy with a bad knee, the first time his knee's ever been in a brace in his entire career. And he was running all over the place. So I hope the coaches um, didn't take that off the table. Hey, don't worry about him. He's not going to run because he, he sure ran. And the other thing was that, that, that fake field goal. I'm sorry, that fake punt. The fake punt seems to just, seem to just really hurt the Saints emotionally as well as you know, on the field. And, you know, you can't help but wonder, don't coaches take into consideration that any time there could be a fake punt, that any field goal, any, any punt could be a fake punt? There was no reason for the fake punt. It was all expected that everybody expected that they would punt the ball. They were, they were ahead. Just, just punt the ball. But they caught the Saints with their pants down. I mean, they, just, they, weren't, they weren't prepared for it. Big first down. And that was really a, a crushing blow to the Saints. All right. Um, we've uh, got a few things to get to on this uh, free-for-all Friday. If you're on hold, stay with us. We'll get to uh, more of your calls coming up. Every week, WWL multimedia journalist Tontron does a great job with his podcast. He joins us on WWL. Todd, I can't wait to hear about your podcast this week. Hey, Scoot. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, the, the the podcast this week actually, when you're mentioning Saints and football, this this week's podcast actually has to do with athletics more in the collegiate uh, level, but um, it focuses on how college athletes now are able to get paid off of their name, image, and likeness or NIL, and you know that opens up a, a lot of debates and possibly a Pandora's box when it comes to the sporting world in, in college athletics. I talked about that a little this week when it was determined that, uh, that Olivia Dunn was the number one NIL earner in, in the country. Uh, Angel oh, Reese yes. is, is, is doing well. And I know it's, I know it's controversial. I love that you, you get into this because there's such a tradition in this country, especially with today's establishment, the boomers, that, that college athletes do not get paid. Now, they're technically not getting paid, but because they're playing – they're getting paid 
if if people are using their name likeness or or, or image and you know personally i think it's it's fair it's fair and i think that you know it's going to take a little bit of getting used to because to to be um, really just fair to the whole situation it's only been a couple of years since the ncaa changed these rules and we're just starting to see the the emergence of these nil athletes and you mentioned olivia dunn um, you know the top paid athlete the, the gymnast at lsu angel reese just signed a contract with Reebok and that's something especially for for us old enough to know and, and to understand when college athletics was just basically an amateur realm of arena uh, when it came to sports uh, it takes some getting used to uh, but I think this is going to be the future and what the podcast uh, is focused on is what does this this all look like and I visited LSU and the the woman who is the head of the NIL strategies at the university to take us sort of behind the scenes give us a look at what the machinery is about, uh, how deals are brokered. Um, and in my view, it's a fascinating look at how these deals come about, how much money is involved, but also some of the good that also comes out of NIL, which I think also often doesn't get put in the media. Uh, and, you know, we touch a bit upon, upon that as well. And uh, ultimately, there's, there's a big open question about what this means for sports at the collegiate level, and I don't think that's going to be answered until – uh, we get a better sense of what NIL looks like in the next few years. You know, I'm I'm also sure that you you uh, saw the possibility that there are going to be uh, athletes who are going to go to the school that's going to lead to the biggest NIL payoff. And and I think what you you do also is uh, don't you look into how powerful the 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 images of LSU? Oh, for sure. And look, LSU uh, when when these rules. Uh, came down and the the rules were announced that they were going to change to allow athletes to to basically make money off of their endorsements and their name, image, and likeness. LSU put a billboard uh, in Times Square in New York City to basically say, we embrace this, we're ready for it, and sending out a very loud message to the rest of the world that if athletes are interested to come to LSU, uh, they can really maximize their brand. They can use the platform that LSU has. Um, And obviously that's a great benefit to LSU, but LSU also took the time and did their due diligence to create a program to educate athletes because at at the end of the day, this is what we're dealing with. You're dealing with very young people who are possibly at the threshold of making millions and millions of dollars uh, before they're, you know, 21. And you have to educate these folks to, to realize how they can do that. But if somebody is using Angel Reese's image, her name or her likeness, if they're using that to, to, to make money, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with, with paying her, even though she's a, a collegiate athlete. You know, that's been the open debate for a very long time, Scoot. And, you know, there's no question. And I asked uh, Taylor Jacobs, who's the head of NIL initiatives at LSU, I said, you know, the, sports is a business. She said, yeah, it's always been a business. And she herself was a collegiate athlete playing for the University of Auburn um, for tennis. She said, I knew that it was a business, but it wasn't until I got to this position that I really fully grasped what the business is about. So there's no question that colleges have been and universities have been making money off of their athletes. Uh, and now college athletes can make money off of it. And as you said, it, you know, it, it's only fair. And that certainly is, is one, one coin, one side of the coin. But I think it's also fair to ask, what does this mean for the sporting world now when yeah. you have – uh, athletes being paid to kind of go to certain schools and universities. Take take a look at what's happening at the University of Colorado with 
uh, Deion Sanders and his son. Yeah. You know? So, you know, it, it's, it's a real, real phenomenon right now. It really it, it is. It's it, and it's interesting because I, I think you could argue that capitalism is even older than college sports. Maybe not by much, but maybe by a little bit. And so this really just responds to the capitalist society that that we live in. But the idea that college athletes are going to be multimillionaires while they're playing college football, college sports is um, is kind of unheard of. Well, it's very unheard of. It's uncharted territory right now. Sure, and I think that you know what what we're going to see in the coming years. And uh, Taylor Jacobs again at LSU said, you know what what is really necessary right now is a cohesive set of legislation from from states and really at the congressional level to kind of give guidelines on what this means. Because if you go to different states and different universities, everybody's going to have a different set of rules for what their athletes, their student athletes, can do when it comes to earning money from their name, image, and likeness. So you have a vast patchwork of uh, laws and rules that really don't make sense, and it's really like the wild, wild west. So there needs to be a, a national set of standards when it comes to what athletes and students can do when it comes to profiting off of their name, image, and likeness. Yeah, and, and, and the NCAA, they, you know, they didn't do this so willingly. I mean, this took a Supreme Court decision in 2021 to make this happen. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, look, there's, in the early 2000s, there were athletes that were suing the NCAA, basically, because they saw their name, image, and likeness on a video game. And they said, well, wh- what's, my, what's my chunk of this? I mean, they're using my name, image, and likeness, and I get nothing from it. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's a fair question. And that's been in litigation, and ultimately uh, it led to this decision to now say athletes can now profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And, Tom, I think the other question that, that will be answered over time is, will there be athletes on a, on a team that will resent those few athletes that are making millions while they're not? That's a good question. That's something that I posed to Taylor Jacobs, you know, and she said, look, it, ultimately, um, and I asked her, what's at stake when it comes to NIL at university? She said, you know, possibly sports in, in the college world. She said, you know, if, if we're going down this path, and she said, it's not what LSU is necessarily leaning towards, but she says there's a possibility that you have this pay-for-play, but also um, when you have this amount of money involved, you might have to start using some type of profit sharing. And I asked her, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You mean sharing profits with the university, with the athletes? She said, yes. And if that happens, do the lower-rung lower sports, I'm talking about, you know, lacrosse and tennis and swimming, some of the sports that don't get the the high, the the big spotlight treatment, she said, will we have enough money um, when it comes to programs to support 17 athletic programs? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. You know, what does that look like? Here's another interesting thing to consider. Angel Reese is making all this money because she is uh, is popular and she's she has the charisma she has uh, everything that it takes to be a to be a star and of course the raw uh, athletic talent but she's she's good because the team around her is good and so she's in this position in part because of the players around her that might not be benefiting in any way very true I mean, just just like on any team, you're going to have your star athletes and you have your yeah. supporting role players. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the stars will, will outshine everybody else. And that's a question for, for teams on, on the individual level. You know, can the coaches handle what they're seeing now with athletes coming in, getting paid millions of dollars? How do you motivate them? 
Um, How do you get them to play? Will and for us as fans, are we seeing a quote unquote authentic game when we're looking at college athletes before who were amateurs who are now basically professional athletes? And there's even a larger question of you know what happens after college for them because some would say that right now they make they'd probably make more money at least many of the female athletes are probably making more money at the collegiate level than they would professionally because the the salaries at the professional level for a female athlete isn't that high, at least certainly not as high as male athletes. Well, it's a very interesting topic, and I love the way you handle all of the topics. So where can people find this podcast, Ton? Uh, they can find the Ton Report anywhere they get their podcasts, Scoot. Uh, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Just search for Ton, T-H-A-N-H, and the report, Ton Report. All right, Ton. Can't wait to hear it. Um, thanks for your time, and have a great weekend. Happy Friday, Scoot. Thank yeah. you. All right. It's a Free For All Friday, and if you want to join us with a comment this afternoon, the Oakland Heart Jewelers Talk and Text Line is 504-260-1870. On the Scoot on the Air Rock Culture calendar, on this day in 1962, this song was the number one song in the country. It became the most famous Halloween song of all time. Remember this? We've played it a couple of times already this season. We play it every year. I remember this as a, a kid growing up in, in Metairie with my little transistor radio, walking around the mean streets of Metairie and hearing the Monster Mash. And um, Bobby Pickett and the Crip Kickers, that's the, the people who do it, Bobby Pickett's vocals are an impression of Boris Karloff, who was uh, you know, known for his role as uh, many monsters, including Frankenstein. Anyway... I am seeing very elaborate Halloween decorations. It's amazing how many people have like giant spiders or wolfman or like a, a giant skeleton or a lot of, a lot of extravagant uh, Halloween costumes and uh, decorations out there. I'm Scoot on the air, and we'll be back on WWL. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Free for all Friday afternoon. I'm Scoot on the air, and here is a track from the uh, the new Rolling Stones album, Hack Me Diamonds. The song is called Whole Wide World. Take a listen. Yeah, I, I love that Mick Jagger is 80 years old and he's he's doing new stuff, and and you know this has signature Stones sound to it, but it's it's different enough so they get credit for being creative at, at this point. And it sounds like some of their music is um, a, a statement about the world that we live in today. Anyway, we'll continue to uh, sample some uh, tracks from the new album, Hackney Diamonds. I'm Scoot on the air. Let's go to uh, Robert in New Orleans. Hey, Robert, welcome to the show. There it is, man. Hello. Hello, Robert. Robert, you're, you're in WWL. Hey. Hello. <laughs> Sounds like Robert started the party a little early. Robert, are you with us? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, you're on WWL. I'm, I'm Scoot. Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, Scoot, a couple of things about the Saints last night. Okay. First of all, the Saints cornerbacks never turn around and look for an interception. They always want to knock the ball down. 
I mean, if you want to beat the Saints, pass the ball in all opinions. Secondly, Derek Carr was obviously hurt a little. He got in that position. They should have put Tate Hill in the game because they would have put Jacksonville on a different alert. They didn't know whether he was going to run or throw it. He good. can throw the ball. That's a good point. We could have won that game, and that was the time to put Taysom in to confuse Jacksonville. They knew Carr wasn't going to run that ball. Of course, he forced it in three times. He did the thing, same thing last week. Mm-hmm. Third and third and ten, and you want to get ten yards and three downs. He's throwing ten yards every down. Throw four yards, five yards. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that was I frustrated mean, me last night too, Robert. I saw the Saints quite often, uh, you know, get the ball to say Camara, and you hope Camara can make those extra yards because he's short at the first down when he catches it. But man, they 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 tackled him and shut him down. Not Robert, are you with us? Okay, I guess we lost contact with Robert. Anyway, Robert just is among the many who are um, ex- expressing frustration over the the loss last night. And again, I. If the Saints have the talent to come from behind when it's 24 to 9 and they tie it up 24 24, why can't they use that talent and that attitude at the beginning of the game? So often it just seems like the Saints just kind of come out. I don't know what the stats are, but they can't be very good on the Saints scoring on an opening drive. I mean, even a field goal. You know, it, it, it seems like they just kind of, um, you know, run the ball and then maybe pass it and then run it. And then and then it's, you know, it's third and seven after those two plays. And they're, you know, still trying to catch up. I just I just don't I don't see a lot of aggression early in the game. It's like they're just going to come out. We're just going to kind of test things out here. I don't know. As a fan, that's the uh, that's the impression I get. It is free for all Friday, and if you want to join us with a comment, the Oakland Heart Jewelers talk and text line is 504-260-1870. While many of us were focused on the game last night between the Saints and the Jags, uh, President Biden was speaking to America, and he says America must unite and support Israel and Ukraine. Time is of the essence. I know we have our divisions at home. <clears throat> we have to get past them. We can't let petty, partisan, angry politics get in the way of our responsibilities as a great nation. We cannot and will not let terrorists like Hamas and tyrants like Putin win. I refuse to let that happen. And uh, President Biden also said that America is going to be less secure if America stops helping Israel and Ukraine. I know these conflicts can seem far away. And it's natural to ask, why does this matter to America? So let me share with you why making sure Israel and Ukraine succeed is vital for America's national security. You know, history has taught us that when terrorists don't pay a price for their terror, when dictators don't pay a price for their aggression, they cause more chaos and death and more destruction. They keep going. And the cost and the threats to America and the world keep rising. You know, I think it's interesting uh, that so many people in America are standing up with Hamas a terrorist organization. But a lot of people in America are standing up with Hamas. And there's a difference between Hamas and the Palestinian people. They're not the same. Hamas is made up of Palestinian people. But they don't represent all of Palestinian people. And yet there are people who want to say they're, they're all the same. No, they're not. So I understand, I understand empathy for the Palestinian people. 
But I think Hamas did a smart thing when they just released two American hostages, a mother and a daughter. This is good PR. This is going to this is going to this is going to ignite um, even more so the support that some people have for the Palestinian people. So if nothing else, this was a big um, PR move for for Hamas. So, you know, look, it's a it's a, a very complicated war. It's a complicated situation. We've always sided with Israel, and I don't think that is going to change. But that in itself causes a lot of people to um, to be in disagreement. So we've got the Republicans still trying to figure out who's going to be the Speaker of the House. House Minority Leader Akeem Jeffers says that the traditional Republicans should work with the Democrats. In the attachment to the extremist Jim Jordan, and join with Democrats in finding a bipartisan path forward. You know, this really is revenge of the rhinos. Because you've got the right-wing radicals, and Jim Jordan is among them, and they don't want any compromise with, with Democrats. But if there's no compromise, because it's interesting how many Americans say, yeah, well, why can't they just compromise on some things? But then there's so many more Americans who are saying, don't compromise. Don't compromise with those liberal Christians. Don't compromise with them. Or don't compromise with those, you know, right-wing radical Republicans. You know, we've talked a lot about this because it's, it's true. We, we've had compromise historically in, the, in this country. But we've gotten to a point where, where both sides are so intent on using whatever they can against the other side that compromise is not in their best interest because they're just, they're just pandering to the cheerleaders that they have in the, the, the throes of Americans who, who support either side. So I really don't know how we're going to—I don't know how we're going to break through this because there's so much pride in being a conservative. There's so much pride in not being conservative or being a, a liberal— that, that people don't want to give up on that and that they don't want uh, they don't want compromise. They might say it, but they really want their side to stand strong and not compromise in any way. And that's why there's a problem at the border. I mean, it's, it's, it's one example. There's there. There are things that could be done. I don't know what they are, but they know what they are. But the Republicans don't want to compromise. The Democrats don't want to compromise. And so nothing is done. There are gestures here and there about compromise, but the, the border is, a, is um, a Charlie Foxtrot, and it's a mess, and it's a crisis, and it's bad because the, sides, the two sides don't seem to want to come together and figure out what's best for America. They want to stand up and, and do what's best for their party. And, and this crisis at the border right now gives Republicans political ammunition against the Democrats. And they like that. All right, let's go to a Coleman with some of your text messages. All right, this text says, it's going back to the Saints, Carr needs to realize that he's on camera and there's cameras all around. He looks like a whiny baby and seemed to blame everyone else for his incompletions. Well, there was that one time when it, it appeared that Alvin Kamara did not read the blitz and he ran a different route and he should not have run that route. And it looked like Alvin Kamara took responsibility when he went to the sidelines and kind of did a, a, a fist pump of a, of a car saying hey, that was on me. I, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. 
But it should never come down to just, you know, one play. Another one about the Saints. Anyone who talks about wearing bags on their heads isn't a true fan. True fan supports the team no matter what. They can bitch and moan and complain, but true fans yeah. still stand with their team. Win, lose, good times, bad times, win, lose, whatever. I think that's a really good point. Now, if you don't want to spend your money uh, because you don't like the product, I, I understand that. That's part of the free enterprise system. But I, I never put a bag on my head, and I, I, I never would. Uh, you know, if you, if you go to a game, you're supporting the team. Don't go to the game and put a, put a bag on your head. Uh, this is an interesting tidbit. Scoop, Monster Mash was the number one song during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow. That's interesting. Okay, yes, because October 1962, that was the Cuban Missile Crisis. And for, for baby boomers, that was a time when, you know, we thought we were so close to World War III. Now, the Russians had put missiles in, in Cuba and just outside of Cuba. And that's like 90 miles away from the United States. So, you know, that was a that was a really frightening time. Last one. I love this one. It says, I'm not trying to troll. And I know it's all about the Saints today. But when Ian is out of the game, school, the scoring is not the same. I, I love the way he reads his text. He's, his rapping is off the charts on par with Eminem. And he's got a heart that just doesn't stop. It makes me love him and his cynicalness to, uh, <laughs> to side to produce one hell of a show. I'm an Ian fan, man. Woke that. Cool. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, look, Ian's a talented guy. We, you know, we knew that. And that's why I, you know, suggested that he be in the position that he's in as, as part of the show. I mean, I, I, I saw the talent there and I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to bring him into the show. And I love the job that you do, Coleman. So I love bringing you into the show. Yeah, well, Absa makes the heart grow fonder. And I love the fact that uh, Ian is appreciated more when he's not around. Because that shows you how talented of a guy he is. I, I Trust me, I respect the guy because I see how hard the show is from behind the scenes. Yeah. And I would never be on par with Ian when it comes to that because he's so talented so i agree with that text but you do a great job Coleman. i try i try my yes, best you do a, you, I, you do you do a great job and when he is not here you're you're, you're great so today is a, a very sad day on the scoot on the air rock culture calendar because it was uh, on this day october 20th in 1977 leonard skinnard's members ronnie van zandt and steve gaines were killed when the plane crashed near Bacone, mississippi What's interesting is it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. This was a 1948 Convair. It's a a twin-engine prop plane, and it was used by Eastern Airlines and other airlines as a a small airline years ago. The Leonard Skinner um, crew and Leonard Skinner on on board the plane, they they left Greenville, Greenville, South Carolina, on their way to Baton Rouge. Now, the reason that they they were kind of tense is because the night before— the plane's right engine had spewed out 20-foot fire flames. And so this was going to be the last night they're going to fly. One more time, and they're going to change the plane, trains, cha- trains the, uh, change the transportation in Baton Rouge. But they never made it to Baton Rouge. About two and a half hours into the flight, the plane's right engine started to spew fire out and sputter. And the keyboard player, Billy, um, Billy Powell, went to the cockpit and said, hey, guys, what's wrong? And the pilots, both of them were young, said, hey, everything's going to be fine. We're simply uh, transferring oil from one wing to the other. Right after that, the right engine dies. And the pilots radio ahead to Houston Air Traffic Control, telling them we need uh, vectors from Macomb, Mississippi, because there was a landing strip in Macomb, Mississippi. We need to make an emergency landing. Well, they got the directions, but they didn't make it the left engine went out and the plane crashed 
killing Ronnie Van Zandt and Steve Gaines. So this is the day the Leonard Skinner plane crashed in 1977. I'm Scoot on the air, and we'll be back on WWL. Yeah, give it to me loud. It's a lifestyle. I'm Scoot on the air, free for all Friday. So our promotions director, Ashley Oye, who uh, the other day when we were on location at uh, People's Health Medicare Center in Metairie, uh, she read the uh, text messages and spent some time on the air with me. Um, she, I think she's in the building. Yeah, tell Ashley to, to, to yeah, tell her to just come on in. Come on in. What? You want to call me? No, you want to call? No, come on in. You can just come in. Okay, well, what? Oh, you have to go set up an event. You don't have much time. You're going to call me in the car? Okay, call me from the car. Okay, Ashley is our promotions director. She's got to go set up an event, so she can't sit here in the studio and waste her time with me. So she's going to go set up the event. She's going to call us on the way. She had a really cool sign for the Saints game last night, and um, I want to talk to her about that. Let's go to Long Island. Frank, you're on WWL. Good afternoon, Frank. Hey, Scoot. Second time call. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Frank. Glad you called. Okay. I've been a, a, a diehard fan for 18 years. In fact, I flew in to go to the Tampa Bay game. It was the worst game I attended in 18 years. Not to go over anything you did already. I agree, agree everything you say. But why aren't they tackling by the legs anymore? I don't the guy in the know. Desk and keep running. I don't know. Thing. I saw that again last night. Uh, you know, oh, I was taught. Long. I'm sitting there at the bar screaming yes. at the TV. Everybody's looking at me like I'm a nut. Well, I think cause they, it's well, it's harder, and it, it they might get hurt. I just don't get it. The other thing is, it, it, I mean, almost every time the team runs, it run a slam play from the left to the right, right to the left, throw the ball in the middle. He's going to get 10, 12 yards, right? Okay. Well, the what do you call it? Um, Jacksonville ran it once. What did they get? Forty-five yards. That 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 play that they had no defense at the end of the game. There, like, really? You know, nobody's running that anymore. The Saints never run it anymore. And lastly, the last three four downs, other than the pass where the guy dropped it, you got you got Kamari and Taysom Hill, who I love. Neither one of them touched the ball last four plays, or did I or did I miss something. I I know. I know. Listen, I. You know, I don't have my notes. In, well, I've got my notes here somewhere. I could go through them and uh, and find out what they did. But um, yeah, you know that uh, drop pass was a, was a killer. I'm glad the team is uh, surrounding uh, Forrest Morrow because he's a he's a good guy. Survived cancer, and it, it, but that was a you know that was a catchable ball, and it would have probably led to the Saints tying the score. What happens in overtime? Um, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I was frustrated to see. When when the when the run is not working, and they keep running the ball, I mean, it wasn't until that that comeback or comeback surge where they you know they started to run the ball and it started to uh, it started to work. But you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many things I don't understand. I don't understand, and I don't understand why the Saints appear to be so tentative with their play calling, especially the opening series. I'm sure somebody can figure this out. Does anybody know, without going into any, uh, you know, deep dive uh, research, does anybody know how many times the Saints have punted on the first drive this season? Have they done anything on the first drive? Because, you know, in, in, in radio, I, w- I was always taught, like, the first five, ten minutes of the show, that, that kind of sets up your whole show, the attitude of the whole show. And so you've got to come out smoking in the first five to ten minutes. 
you can come back and, and make recoveries if something happens in the, in the first five or ten minutes. But it's, it's how you start. Well, it's also how you finish. But the Saints seem to start so tentative, like, okay, well, we're going to run the ball or we're going to do this little pass. And I, I don't know. It just it seemed like with the fake punting, with a couple of other things, that they just weren't, uh, weren't prepared. And, and also, it, just, it's, it seems like the Saints are not tackling by the legs. And, boy, they got Alvin Kamara around the legs many times. What did you say? You 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 come in the studio smoking before the show? Scoop? Well, no, not that kind of smoking. I mean, you know, smoking. I knew there was something like, to the show that like was special. Smoking. I didn't know that's what. <laughs> no, I mean like smoking, like you're just smoking. Not really smoking. All right, Halloween season. I've scoot on the air. We'll be right back on WWL. I'll tell you why today is a sad day on the Scoot on the Air rock culture calendar. Because Tom Petty was supposed to be 73 years old today. Tom Petty died in October of 2017. Boy, I'll never forget that day. I have very, very vivid memories of the days when one of the iconic rockers passes away. And we, we talk about it on the show that day. But, yeah, Tom Petty would have been um, 73. All right. Uh, coming up in the next hour, I want to talk, talk briefly about this uh, conservative media outlet that is producing a new Snow White to retaliate against woke Hollywood. And also um, some samples, some more samples of the Rolling Stones' new album, Hack Me Diamonds. And then also Billboard is out with their list of the top 50 songs of all time. We'll hear a report about that coming up next. It's Free For All Friday. I'm Scoot on WWL. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 